Well, I hope that worship was really meaningful to you. I hope you're able to clear some space in your head and your heart to focus on God. I love those songs. It's such a meaningful time to be able to connect together and worship Him. That we're jumping into our brand new series, Worst Year Ever. Man, did I not have any idea how applicable that was going to be, not just to the end of 2020, but to the beginning of 2021. But, but before we do that, I just want to take a moment to say, hey, listen, you're a part of this church, and this church is doing really big things, so thank you for being a part of the movement that is Grace Free Church. It's a movement with this message that we are for Jesus. We are for Schuylkill County. We are for your friends and family who don't go to church, and we are for you. Listen, everybody is always hearing about what other people are against. We want to be known by what we're for, and that's what we're for. And, and we have some really big, exciting stuff going off soon here at Grace Free Church. We're launching our next phase in the next additional campus we're going to be adding, physical campus we're going to be adding to Grace Free Church. Listen, we got Crisona humming. We got the online campus humming. Thanks for being a part of it. And now we're ramping up our efforts at the Tremont campus. We're going to start feeding people in that community starting February 7th. We're going to be launching this next phase where we're going to raise, I think it's, it's, it's like seventy-nine dollars or $80,000 by this summer to launch a fully operational, amazing campus of Grace Free Church. If you want to participate in that, see what God can do through your generosity as we crack open the whole west side of the county with Grace Free Tremont, just go to www.gracefreechurch.net slash Tremont. Hopefully somebody will throw that in the chat. And uh, man, God's got some pretty awesome stuff. Really excited about it. As with anything, if you have questions, hit us up in the connect button. We'd love to hear from you. We're about to jump into this new message. Would you just take a second to pray with me? Dear God, we're so thankful for this year. It's hard to say that in the midst of all of our circumstances, but we are. We know that's where our heart belongs, and we know that no matter what life looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter how crazy or stressed it is, we have hope in you. And that's what we're centered around today. That's what we want to focus on today. And as we jump into your word, would you help it make sense for our hearts and for our lives? Do your thing. Moving us, tear down the walls that need to be tore down. Speak to us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in this series called The Worst Year Ever Finding Hope in Anything. And it's really important to make sure you don't miss that, that tagline to it Finding Hope in Anything. And, and as we were building this series at the end of last year, we made the decision to, to jump into the series at the beginning of this year. It kind of is a much more realistic approach than all the stuff that we started last year with, you know, 2020 vision and all that crazy stuff. We had no idea what was coming. And for a whole lot of people, this was the worst year ever. 
And maybe the start of 21 has been equally just as bad. Listen, I never thought that, that our start of this, this, this series would be delayed because I got COVID, my whole family got COVID, we, we had to cancel Christmas Eve, we, we've been online for the last couple weeks, it's just been crazy as we look around us. We see all kinds of chaos everywhere. We're dealing with a pandemic that's exploding all around us, a death rate keeps on climbing, a virus that does not care what you think about it. It does not care how much of a keyboard warrior you are. And by the way, I don't want to hear it unless you had it. If you had it, fine. Type away. I'll listen to whatever you want to say about this virus. I've had it. And I don't want, I'm, I'm so tired of jumping online and hearing every keyboard warrior cranking out the keys with their ideas about this virus and they have no idea what it's like. And we, we have all this stuff going on and not only that, civil unrest that went through the summer, now civil unrest that landed in our courthouses with this crazy, awful, despicable act. Like it's just nuts everywhere you look, it's, it's crazy, and I don't like it, and if you don't like me because of that, then I, I'm, I'm learning to be okay with that. Like in so many different ways, this has been the worst year ever. I don't like it. I don't like the amount of messages that I'm getting from people who are depressed and wondering about ending their lives because they don't know what to do next, whether it's because of financial ruin or whether it's because of emotional devastation from the isolation that they're now in. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like that people are treating some guy wearing a red tie or some guy wearing a blue tie like they're the saviors of this world. I don't like that all of a sudden we're talking about political systems and policies as if they are the thing that's going to save us. I don't like getting your messages about politics on, on social media. I don't like how angry people are. I don't like all the talk about civil war. I don't like all this ridiculous rhetoric that's being thrown around at each other. I don't like all the hate. I don't like all the polarization. I don't like that I got a friend who's a judge in Wisconsin who has to talk to his kids about what death threats mean because he made a decision based on the truth that resulted in him being destroyed for political means all over social media. I don't like it. And maybe you don't like me because I'm saying that, but I'm, I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. I don't like so much of what surrounds us in our circumstances. I don't like that you feel like your identity is tied to this broken system. I don't like that you're placing your hope in a bunch of broken people because they hold a position I don't like that you feel like your whole world is threatened just because someone asks you to do something that shows love and care for somebody more vulnerable than you. I don't like any of it. It's the worst year ever. And I never knew that I would be rolling into this series having just recovered from COVID myself, having wrestled with the fear of what that feels like as you're walking through it physically. I don't like that while I'm at home sick recovering, 
from COVID, the news is blowing up January 6th with all this crazy stuff. I don't like the racial stuff. I, I just don't like it. I don't like it. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I, I love that you care. No matter what side of this thing you're on, the politics you're on, I love that you care. I just don't love if you care about your politics more than the kingdom. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is hope. Jesus is rescue. Jesus is the fix. Jesus is better. Jesus is everything. I don't like it. I don't like so much of what I see around me, so much of what I hear. I don't like the relationships being broken over all this stuff. I don't like that I got to worry about this, this start of this message and feel like people aren't even going to hear what I'm saying I'm just getting, they're just going to hear the thing that they don't like and then slam me for it or walk out for it. But, but here's what I'm committed to more than being liked by everybody. A year where we find the truth that we've been missing all along. I'm committed to a hope that does not lie in things that crumble and fall apart and run out. I'm committed to Jesus and his kingdom above all else. I love my country. But I love Jesus more. I love you, no matter what side of an aisle you sit on. But I love Jesus more. Listen, I, I don't like it. The worst year ever. Like, I don't like any of it. But I can learn from it. And I, and I think ultimately, like, that's the part that I'm missing most. It's a humility to, like, look at our circumstances and be like, I can learn from it. And here's what, I'm, here's what I'm learning through the very disappointing start to 2021 and all of the disappointments that we walked through in 2020. Here's, here's what I'm learning. You can find hope in anything. You can find hope in any circumstance because Jesus is better and he's still king. And I'm also learning that our faith, our faith flexes its best muscles in the middle of disappointment and chaos. Our faith is best used in the middle of the darkness. Our faith shines the brightest in the middle of our questions. Our faith was made for moments like. I don't like it. In Jesus' time, it was worse, <laughs> way worse. And, and this journey we're on, it's nothing new. But I got something that I think we can learn if I didn't lose you already. I got something that I think we can learn together here from John, or John chapter 2. And uh, here's what else I'm learning. Everything else runs out. It all runs out. doesn't matter what system, what policy you've bought into, if it's not connected to Jesus, it's going to run out. 
Before we jump into John chapter 2, listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom. This has been my heart's cry for the last two weeks. I have read this verse over and over and over and over again. It's where I need to be. It says this, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. (laughs) Paul, man, hitting us. What? Oh, you thought it was just us. (laughs) You thought it was just a red and a blue thing, huh? No, you see, this is an eternal truth. Man, the rulers of this age, they always come up empty. They're always running out. And that's not what he's saying is we don't declare some kind of broken system. We're not going to shout about how right we are. We got something else. And, And what he says is this message of declaring God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that doesn't run out. In John chapter 2, Jesus is right about to bust out his first miracle. It's this kind of like really regular scene. It's a really regular moment. Like there's just, a, it's just like real life. He's actually at a wedding feast, hanging out with his disciples, the guys, the guys he's called that are following him, and his mom shows up to the party. And by the way, ain't no party like a party with your mom, right? Like these wedding feasts could have like gone on for days, maybe even weeks, depending on who was getting married and how big the party was and how big the family was and all of those things in this culture. Jesus is at this wedding feast, this drawn out, fun reception, hanging out with folks and chilling out with his disciples. And you get this beautiful picture of just normal life, man. I just want some, some of those pictures again, more of those pictures again. Jesus is hanging out there. And it says this, on the third day of the wedding that took place at Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus, he replies to his mother, Mary, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. It took a mom to notice that things run out. We need more moms. We need some spiritual mothers with that kind of insight to speak into our lives and into our culture today with that kind of truth like hey by the way it's running out moms notice that kind of stuff before everybody else right like they're making sure everything's okay everything's said everybody's talking to who they need to talk to everybody's included everybody's cared for you know that type the moms who just love to mother they don't even it may not even be their own kids they don't even have to have kids they just are good at mothering and here Jesus is hanging out with his disciples at the feast and she notices the problem it's running out everything ends up running out 
I believe that's why Jesus took this moment. It was a regular moment. His time had not yet come. He just told Mary it wasn't time yet. He just had announced, like, I'm not, what, what are you involving me for in a wedding feast? Why are you talking to me about wine? I got bigger things I'm about to do, and I didn't get started yet. Like, I'm just chilling here with my disciples. Woman, what are you doing telling me about this? But then he takes this, this very normal moment, this very just basic problem, and he decides, with some foreshadowing, with some symbolism, to show that everything runs out that's not connected to him. She, she just says, like, look, trust. Hey, he, he kind of sends her off, right? And she just looks at the servants. I don't know if Jesus was there and could hear it or how close she was to everybody. She just says, like, listen, whatever he says, my boy is special. He's different. He's better. Like, I know all the Karens out there in the world have been saying that about their kids over and over again. It's why if you're like, if you're a millennial here watching this, you probably got a shelf full of participation trophies, right? Because mom always said you were the best, you were special, you were amazing, but this was different than that because she had known something about who she was talking to. It wasn't just some kid with all the other kids. It wasn't just some young man with all the, this wasn't just some 30-year-old. It wasn't just mom showing up to the party saying, my kid's special. He, you should see the grades he get man he can hit a baseball she knew there was something different about Jesus that he wasn't just Jesus that Jesus is so so she says like hey listen whatever he says it's an act of trust a statement that we all can learn from you see right here Mary is saying whatever he decides I'm going to roll with. He may do nothing, and that's okay. He may do something, and it's going to blow you away. It's a statement of trust that we've long forgotten. In a culture where we constantly want to get our own way, where we constantly want to be right, where we constantly want to see our agenda blow over everybody else's agenda, where we constantly want to be the one bringing home the trophy, she says, not what I want, what he wants, that's trust. I trust him. I'm not going to say I'm making the best decision. I'm going to say his decision will be right. And I'll follow him. Jesus has authority. And what he decides is good. He's the sovereign one. He knows what's going on. None of this is catching him by surprise. He's still in charge. He's still in control. And instead of fighting what he's doing, we should just be like, you okay? Because Jesus is. And that's where I find my hope. My hope isn't in whether I'm right or wrong. My hope isn't in proven by point. My hope is in Jesus is king. He's king of my life. He's king of the world. And I trust him. I don't know what spurned this whole idea like Jesus, though. He, he, grabs, the, uh, he grabs the disciple, the, the servants, or, or, or says to the servants, hey, see those, 
ceremonial cisterns over there. I mean, those things, they were like super big. Sorry, I'm still not 100%, although I'm not contagious, so don't freak out. Like, uh... Is that weird, like showing up with a gallon of water? These cisterns were like really big, not just like a gallon. They were ceremonial cisterns. This is the only thing I could find, like the closest thing I could find to the cisterns, this huge igloo, um, this huge igloo thing, right? So this is a 10-gallon drinking Gatorade igloo thermos container, sealed tightly. Who knows how long this has been sitting wherever it was before I dug it out. Like, this is 10 gallons. Each one of these cisterns was between 20 or 30 gallons. So think about each one of these barrels being two or three of this. Jesus is about to do something absolutely spectacular. And in John chapter 2, he says, hey, you see those six cisterns over there? Now, you can do some math here. It's not that hard to crank it out, right? There's six cisterns over there. They hold between 20 and 30 gallons. Now, here's where everything flips on its head. These, these, um, these containers were ceremonial used for, the, for religious cleaning. It was where they held the water that, they would, that was part of their law, like to, to make it right, to clean it off, to get a clean slate, ceremonially washing their hands of whatever they needed to wash for as a part of their religious practice. And uh, he's about to say like, hey, that old system, it's running out. These 20 to 30 gallon things, so twice or three times the size of this. And he tells the, he tells the servants, he's like, yo, okay, here's what you got to do. You got to go get the water from the well and fill these bad boys up. Like all six of them, fill them up. I don't know how much, you know, like I, I have this exercise I do when we go to the grocery store and buy gallons of water, right? It's like, how many gallons of water can you carry at one time without breaking a pinky. How many of you guys, like, you've done that little exercise on your way from the car into the house? Like, you've dislocated digits because you were trying to carry, like, six of these at a time. This is a 10-gallon thing, and if I'm grabbing water in a bucket from a well, it's really thirsty, right? Like, here's what I know about this. It takes forever. And at what point on this journey am I going to be like, yo, man, like this is going to be a lot of trips. Can't we like order up some wine from the wine? Has anybody got like a bottle at home? Like do we really need this much? Everybody's kind of like, they've been drinking too much anyway. Like we really need, okay. But, but these guys like back and forth, back and forth, gallon after gallon, right? Like filling these things up to the top. I wonder at what point they were like, man, what are we doing? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? What, why do we keep making these trips? Why do we keep trying to fill this thing up, right? Like, gallon after gallon after gallon. They fill these things up, and, and Jesus is like, I don't know why I put the lid back on. Jesus is like, yo, okay, like, tap that and take it to the master of the banquet. The dude running the ceremonies, you know, he's all worked up probably anyway, because, uh, well, because they get worked up about this kind of thing, you know? So they like, uh, I don't know how you're supposed to, they like get this and they're like, okay, we're supposed to take this over. I'm not doing that. I pulled this thing out of an attic of a church. 
I'm pretty sure the last time somebody used that was like 1984. I just realized, I looked down in it, that the little rubber thing attached to the nozzle is like deteriorating. I'm not drinking this. I was gonna. I'm thirsty. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Like they take it over, right? Like they take it over to the, to the, the servants. They take him over to the thing. They give, him, give it to the guy to taste. And he tastes it. And it's like better than he ever could have imagined. It was like the good stuff. Like he gets confused. Why did we bust? Did I make a mistake? Why did we bust out the cheap stuff early? And now we're busting out the good stuff when nobody even really cares anymore. He goes over to the bridegroom. He's like, man, like most people... They bring out the cheap stuff for the cheap stuff last after everybody's already drank too much. Why you gotta, you're bringing out the good stuff last? It gets a, it's a story about Jesus flipping everything on his head, and in his very first miracle, Showing how everything's going to run out, except what is connected to me. What's mind-blowing about this is uh, there's like three things that just really get me about this story. One is that they had to feel like their efforts were empty as they carry water and put it in the container. Like back and forth, back and forth, 30 gallons, 60 gallons, 90 gallons. 120 gallons, 150 gallons, 180 gallons. Like, they're walking back and forth with their buddies, like, what are we doing this for? Some lady's son, like, I don't know, like, some lady's son told us, like, hey, she was all mad about the wine running out. She just said, hey, trust him. And then he was like, go get some water and fill those things up. I think we're, I don't know, maybe they're having a ceremony. Like, I don't know what we're, so many empty efforts. And I wonder if you feel like your efforts have felt, have been empty. Like you're not really getting anywhere. It doesn't seem to change. All the work you put in, all the endurance you've been working on, the perseverance you've been working on this last year, it doesn't seem like it's going to be any different. <clears throat> it doesn't seem like anything's going to get any better. I wonder if you feel like you got some empty steps. Walking it out. Not seeing any improvement in life, not seeing the result, not seeing what God's doing, not seeing an answer to prayer. I wonder if you've just been doing some stuff and you're losing some energy and you're feeling disheartened because nothing's really changing in here, because nothing's really changing in here, because it feels like you're getting anywhere, because your efforts feel empty. But here's what you got to know. There are no empty efforts when your efforts are taken for the king, Jesus. Jesus is king, and he's the one who can take every effort you put in and, and make it into something extraordinary. He can take the ordinary things of your life and make them extraordinary. He can take the water and make it into wine. He can take a broken relationship and heal it and make it whole. And, and he can take a marriage and make it better than you ever expected it could be. He can take what you offer him, even if you feel like it's empty, and add purpose to it and meaning to it and do more through you than you ever could have expected. There are no empty movements. There are no empty efforts when you're doing your thing for the king. So this year, make your efforts mean something. Whatever they are, 
wherever you want to get involved in, whatever steps you take, whatever you jump into, whatever you read, whatever church services you show up to, whatever small group you're connected to, wherever you want to serve, make your efforts mean something. Because you're not just doing it for you. You're not even doing it to better your circumstances. You're doing it for the king. Jesus is. And you can find hope knowing that he is king. And when he's king of your life, there are no empty efforts. They didn't have all the ingredients. Like something's missing here, right? Like it's water. It's water. It's water. Like it's, a, it's not going to stain the carpet because it's water. It's just going to, it's just water. Like there's something missing here. Like you got to, if you want to make wine, like you need some grape juice. You got to put some, some, not some grape juice, some grapes, right? You put them in a barrel, you mash them all up. It, it takes time. It takes grapes. Those things got to ferment. I, I think eventually you come up with that juice turning into alcohol and making wine. And, and scripture, by the way, this is not talking about juice. It's talking about wine. No banquet master goes to the end of the ceremony and says, whoa, everybody drank too much juice. Maybe if your ceremony attendees are like, Three to six, you could be like, whoa, they drank too much juice, man, that red dye is going right to their head. But, but this is, it's missing some ingredients, but like, like the old system, like the law, like religion, like politics, it's all missing ingredients. It's not the good stuff. It's missing the good stuff. Everything not connected to Jesus runs out. I don't want your life to run out. Missing the best ingredients. And here's the thing. Jesus is. You see, the creator of the world is the only one who doesn't need grapes to make wine because he made grapes. It says in John 1 that before the world, the word was with us and the word was us. Like, read it about Jesus. He has been eternally past, eternally present, eternally future. He is divine. He is the creator of the world. Jesus. And the creator doesn't need grapes to make wine. Doesn't need water. Can do it anywhere. You see, he was saying, like, something's missing. It's me. It's me. It's also time. You need time to make wine. Unless you're rolling with the God of the universe. Who is timeless. Who has no beginning and no end. You see, Jesus was taking this normal picture of life and he was doing something absolutely incredible. The, the banquet master said, you flipped it, but they didn't flip it. Jesus flipped it. He took an old system. He held up religion and he did something new. He gave us something better. He holds up all the systems that are falling and, and proving themselves to be running out. And he's saying, look, this runs out, but I can fill it. 
I can fill you with the stuff that's been missing all along. You see, Jesus is the one who flips everything. The worst year ever doesn't matter if you're rolling through it with Jesus. The start of the second worst year ever doesn't matter if you're rolling with Jesus because that's where you can find hope in anything. You find hope in anything because Jesus is. Jesus is king. Jesus is creator. Jesus is savior. Jesus loves you. Can you feel the tension? Everywhere I look, what I see is fear. I see, I see fear played out on the steps of a capital. I see fear played out in the rhetoric all over the news. I I see fear played out online on social media. I see fear played out on both sides of a pandemic. I see, a, I see fear everywhere. But then there's this voice, right, like saying, don't you see it? Jesus is better. It's the whisper from him. It's the whisper from him that just says, stop. Stop. Stop binding the things that are running out. I love you. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm here. I'm with you. I have everything you need. I'll keep you. I'll hold you. I'll fill you. And this Jesus, he takes the ordinary in your life. He takes the nothing in your life. He takes the empty in your life when you offer it to him and give him your life. And he fills it. Find hope anywhere because Jesus is. You catch the very end of this passage. It said, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory He's just getting started, and his disciples believed in him. This last part tripped me up. See, because these disciples, disciple means follower of Jesus, like they had already sacrificed for Jesus. Maybe you've been in church a whole lot. Maybe you've never been to church before, and this is your first weekend. Maybe, I, you know, I don't, I don't know where you are, what your experience has been. I don't know, I don't know what you're wrestling with. In life, I don't know, I don't know any of that stuff, but what, what amazes me is that these people, they had already given up stuff for Jesus. They had left jobs, they had left their families to follow him. He had given them a call, and they had said okay, and they had taken some steps to follow Jesus. They already put on the jersey. They were wearing it. They were singing the songs in church. They were hanging out, listening to his teaching. They were being like, okay, yeah, we'll follow him. We'll put on the jersey. We'll commit. It cost them something. Yet they hadn't believed. And that's a hiccup I think so many of us wrestle with. Belief is played out in trust. Trust is what moves you along on this journey. Trust is proved not by what you say, not by what jersey you have on, 
It's proved in the actions of your life. And that catches me. It catches me because it forces me to take a step back. To say, who have you been placing your trust in, Josh? Who have you been trusting in when you're scrolling the news cycle? Who have you been trusting in when you let fear creep up and grab you? Who have you been trusting in when you don't like everything that you see around you? In 2021, man, whenever you're watching this, flip the whole thing. Know that your trust is seen in your actions. And choose to believe him. Maybe there's some areas because a lot of us will believe him with our heart, but not with our life. And so maybe there's some, some those of you that say you're Christ followers that have given your hearts to him. Those of you that haven't, man, make that first step. You, you can't experience hope in the middle of the worst year ever or in the middle of anything if you haven't given him your heart. So if you haven't given him your heart, just give it to him now. Be like, Jesus, I, you're better. You weren't just some teacher. You were God Almighty who gave yourself on a cross for me. I believe that you left the tomb empty so that I could have hope. I give you my heart and he will take it and make it new. And you'll begin an amazing journey with him. But, but for some of us, Man, we've given him our heart, just not all of our lives. And maybe there's some things in your life. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your status and clout. There is the possibility that you have been a disciple with the jersey on, songs ripping from your lips, and yet you have held this part back, not trusting that Jesus is king, that Jesus is sovereign, that Jesus is better, and that you can trust him whatever he decides right now. Don't waste any more time. Make that right with him. Dear God, we need you. There's a whole lot I don't like about what I see. But I'm learning <laughs> that I'm not perfect, that I'm not always right. Help me, help us to walk humbly with each other, to see each other like you see us. Help us to have new eyes and help us to trust you with all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.